Welcome one, welcome all to another developer interview here on the Xbox Expansion Pass. Today, I am joined by Thierry Boulanger of Sabotage Studios to talk about his upcoming turn-based RPG, Sea of Stars, set to come out this August. Uh, I'm your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. Uh, Thierry, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. And so we haven't chatted in, in, in a few years, so this should be fun. Yeah, you were last on XEP xcp 40 when we were still doing joint episodes with interviews and that was in july 2020 yeah oh wow that that's when you put it like that it's like (laughs) whoa oh yeah (laughs) whoa we talked all about the messenger then we knew we knew a project was coming didn't know what uh and here you are man here you are that's a pleasure to be here again again thank you so much it was a fun chat last time and uh, i've been looking forward to this one as well yeah, well, I'm I'm stoked to get into it. Sea of Stars, of course, catching a lot of attention. Uh, you guys have an uh, announced release date in August, uh, yep. which certainly has to feel cool. Do you feel a new sense of pressure now that like everything's getting locked in? Kind of, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's because we've been working on this for like four and a half years, right? Um, and it's kind of like this moment of of. I kind of having to let go because it felt for so long that we would just be working on this forever, which has been an absolute treat. And yeah, we're getting closer to this reality that is going to be in the player's hands now, you know, and mm-hmm. they'll, be, they'll be looking at every single detail, you know, lifting every stone. Um, I mean, we're, we're happy with it, but uh, I, I don't think we're there yet emotionally, most of the team, that, that this will be out of our hands, you know, soon. Uh, we still have a few months left, though, but uh, we're, we're trying to start to process that as we... As we go. <laughs> ah, I see. How many people are on the team? Uh, right now, we're tolling, uh 26 people, including, um, you know, outside, uh, uh, you know, we had a guest composer. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are not at the office directly, like our composer, Eric, is, is uh, he's also a touring musician, you know, so uh, he's in Colorado, whereas we're, we're in Quebec, Canada. And um, so not everyone is has a seat at the studio, but mm-hmm. yeah, 26 people total are, are working on this. And to add to that, there's also another team, another studio in Quebec who they do our, our uh, cinematics for the game. We have mm-hmm. like fully rendered, uh, full screen, traditionally animated 2D hand-drawn animations for some key beats in the story. That's done by a separate studio as well. So that's around 15 more people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of people, a lot of talent gathered around around this idea. So it's been it's been uh, it's been a journey. Is it tough to to balance you know that many people in different settings? I mean, if if you're full remote, obviously that's that's one thing. But to be partially remote, is that difficult? Mm-hmm. It, it's working out. I mean, you know, it, it's it's of course the 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 whole lockdown hit. You know, as we start as we kicked off our our Kickstarter, and so we've kind of had to adjust to that as we entered production. And so basically now it's it's. That was all pre-ironed out, you know, how to be productive, how to check in daily, how to still get over not feeling like doing our hours because we're just home all the time. And so everyone now has a healthy balance of how much they want to be at their desk versus like staying home. Uh, so now we, we've got it pretty locked in now, you know, the, the, the entire process. So now it's, it's, uh, it's pretty good. And, you know, by nature, I mean, we all check in our assets to a shared server anyway. So even if we're on site, there's always still a remote component, even in house mm-hmm. into how assets are handled. So yeah, it's the, you know, we have this, uh, this uh, Slack thing that everyone seems to be using nowadays for like just team chat and it's super efficient. So we have channels for all the topics and all the 
little sub themes that we broke ourselves into on, on different subjects that we're working on and, and, you know, chats were just happening and that was great. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I, uh, I know our last chat several years ago was about the messenger and sea of stars is set in this world, but it's a prequel by a significant margin. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very long time. Uh, very long time prior to the messenger actually. Uh, it, it's, uh, so a messenger was like a, a post-apocalyptic setting uh, where there essentially had been a, a flood and there was only the one island left essentially and, and it was cursed and so you were playing this ninja that had to traverse that island carrying a scroll to deliver a message to the mountain at the end and so now we're before that flood so the, it's set in an archipelago uh which is a, you know it was more of a narrative thing at first but when as we entered level design and world design that's a pretty good hack actually to have an archipelago because you you know having a ship sailing around everything is kind of like by default more self-contained you know you can more easily have clear themes you know that are kind of more singled out that you explore you just duck somewhere you explore a little bit you go somewhere else and so so yeah it's uh, it's in the same world but yeah before some some major events where did this idea come from like to have a shared world post-apocalyptic to it's uh, a lot oh man i <laughs> see that's one that that i i understand the question but it's i i don't really know what to do with it because it was always that for me i mm -hmm. so i've been building this fantasy world since i was in elementary school mm -hmm. and and basically so sabotage was like well i want to tell the big arcs of that thing that's always been living in in my mind and so the the shared universe thing was wasn't like oh messenger worked out let's let's be in that world again it, it was kind of always that right we told mm -hmm. that story which was easier to tell with a smaller team and as a startup it's not as risky of a proposition you know what i mean it's like i jump therefore i am and so it's not will you trust us with all these big systems that that a turn-based rpg you know mm -hmm. comes with um and so now with more means and with a bigger team and then with a bit of a name to ourselves we, we kind of undertook something something bigger but it was always in the same world and the gameplay has to be in tune with the story that we're telling which this time around it's, it's about a group of travelers and not a single one traversing a single island you know the cool part to me when i look at kind of the messenger and, and cocs see of these sea of stars sorry <laughs> happens all the time <laughs> does it really oh yeah, yeah. oh man because well, it's very top of mind sea of and then we've said it so many times that you know i mean yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're a good guest. You let me off the hook, and I appreciate that. Oh, but for, I mean, for sure. Yeah, and, and it, that genuinely happens all the time, so that's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the th There's a big departure in gameplay style. You have the Metroidvania run, mm. jump, uh, throw thing, sword, to mm. turn-based RPG. That is a, a yeah. big transition, and for the story to have always been in your mind, uh, were the gameplay mechanics always in your mind for Sea of Stars to be this, Messenger to be that? Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, of, of course you enter the design process and, and that's when you fully, you know, close in on what it's actually going to be. But uh, for me, wanting to do the, the project in the first place comes from, are there enough either known irritants or areas that can be made lighter or presented in, in, in more of a fresh way mm -hmm. that kind of not justifies, but that kind of make it interesting, I suppose, to, to undertake, like, let's not just do one more re redoing the same things. Can we rethink enough 
how do we, it's a bit of a pruning process, if you will, that like, that didn't age well, let's leave that aside. That, oh, that could have been done like that, let's let's address it. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's just, it just comes from a feeling like that, yes, there is enough to present like a worthwhile new entry, kind of. Um, and so, yeah, for, for Sea of Stars, the idea of, for me, like playing, and I'm thinking of, you know, all the way to, to, to Xbox when I played Lost Odyssey, right? Um, which is about, for me at least personally, probably the last one where it was like an RPG release that I was hoping for that turn base that where everything clicks for me. Mm-hmm. But since playing Chrome Trigger and Super Mario RPG back in the day, I always kept hoping with every JRPG release, mm-hmm. is it going to be the one that has both the timing of the hits and the battle taking place in the same area that you're traversing? Mm-hmm. And so, and that thing just kind of never came out. <laughs> right. Uh, or maybe it's out there and I just haven't seen it. But, and so for Sea of Stars, the, the core of that mechanic was the core of that dynamic of traversing in, in a lighter way like Chrono Trigger, but having more active turn based combat like Super Mario RPG mm-hmm. put together. And then extrapolating on that, how do you make the rest of the game feel in tune with those ideas? Uh, was kind of, you know, the, the thread to follow where, yeah, there seems to be a lot to do there that hasn't necessarily been done exactly like that, even though a lot of it is familiar because, you know, we know who we're making this for, right? Right. The uh, So you're mentioning the, the combat, and a lot of people wrote in asking your inspirations for the game. Uh, oh, yeah. You mentioned Chrono Trigger, Super Mario RPG, uh, and then Ellery, our, our friend Ellery asked us, uh, they want to know about the combat style specifically and, and if it evolved from another game. So I'm wondering if those questions aren't kind of all encompassing. Is it inspiration uh-huh. and mimicry or evolution? It's I, it's def- a big part of it is definitely homage, right? Um, but from there, we also evolve into there's essentially it's 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 there's a lot of friction that can be removed would be would, would be my observation from from the get-go before undertaking like okay let's figure all of this and how the systems are going to play out and interact and essentially whenever there is friction it's like how do we remove it and balance um uh in a way that resonates with that so for example um so MP in the game is so. Here's another like maybe it's it's a it's a more high level thing, but for me one irritant that I had in the list was uh, I'm I'm never using magic in regular encounters as I'm running a dungeon, mm-hmm. only to do nothing but while when I once I'm at the boss right, mm-hmm. and so combat is kind of like it has all this variety. I've got all these spells that I can use, but it's always no. There's only that one that's optimal damage right now. So you just do that one while chugging ether that you always keep saving for later if it's a regular fight. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to create a dance where without telling the player, like you are forced to use this, otherwise you fail, just that everywhere have more incentive to do things that bring variety to what you see happening on the screen. So one example is MP, the MP cap is really low. Um, let's take for example, 12, right? On your character. And then doing a big, we call it the sunball from the, the sun character. It's essentially the equivalent of a fireball. It costs eight, right? So after you do it once, you're left at four. So you can't, you can't just spam it. But also doing a regular attack uh, uh, regenerates three MP to your character. 
Hmm. And so it kind of creates this dynamic where if you're in a regular fight and you're full of MP and you're just attacking, you're going to get this feeling that you're, I'm wasting regeneration. So I'm going to use a special skill, even though it's not a boss, you know, mm-hmm. and then when you're out of options and you attack, you still get something out of it. So it doesn't feel like you're missing out essentially ever. And then when you're on a boss, you can't be spamming that fireball either, right? Because once you've used it, you're, you're, you're out. You can't like do seven and then you use an item you would need an item every time you use it so it's making you develop a pacing between attacking and using special skills and on top of that there's there are um please stop me if i'm getting too no i'm enjoying this is good okay so on top of that there's a locks mechanic so enemies that are mounting spells or, or or skills that deal more damage they will display locks and locks are basically damage types they're, they're of the, the six damage types that you can do in the game once you have the full party. And there's also a timer and how many player actions that thing will happen. Mm-hmm. And so as you're using your attacks, you're trying to break those locks. So it's not only about what's my strongest attack and I'll just be spamming that. So I want to break the spell because if I break all the locks, I cancel the enemy's action. Mm-hmm. And if I don't manage to fully break it, the answering damage is still reduced by the percentage of the locks that I remove. So if there are four and I manage to remove three and then it flies, then it's at 25% efficiency. And if I remove all of them, then it, it's canceled entirely. So there's also this dynamic where your skills and your spells, they're not only how much damage they do, it's what pattern they attack in, what damage types do they do, and how many hits is that, including if I pull off like timing my hits. And so what's part of what's keeping it fresh is you're being presented with randomized luck patterns that kind of call, that kind of challenge you. Oh yeah, if I can bounce this thing five times, I'll be able to remove that. If oh if I spend on this, I'll be able to take half of that away, but I need to deal with that one is going to hit me. And so there's that strategy layer and it being fully turn-based, meaning there's no time bars, right? You're, when it's your turn, you just take all the time you want. Mm-hmm. You can swap between your characters. You get six totals, but you only have three in battle. Mm-hmm. Cut swapping for one that's not in the fight is has no cost. You can act right away. You okay. can change your mind. There's no cost at all. You're not wasting a turn. And so when you're playing the strategy side of it, uh, you're really just taking, taking your time and trying to read the pattern and... and you get an understanding of how you can execute. And so the kits on the character are kept very small. Each character has three skills and one ultimate that comes in later. But those three skills, they're not only about how much damage they do, they're really about the patterns, the damage types, and the amount of hits. And then that combines into, there's over like, there's around 25 combo attacks that you get in the game. So as you're breaking locks, as you're making actions, you're earning a kind of energy that builds into combo points mm-hmm. that lets you combine attack between your characters. And you can kind of extrapolate because the kits are small, like, oh, this is AOE moon and this is single target sun. If they do something together, it will probably be AOE sun and moon or something like that. And you can kind of, and they all kind of make sense, you know. And also the combo points that you build up are the only cost of doing a combo attack. It doesn't cost MP at all. So it's not a thing where you build towards that and because it's better, you start doing only that or whatever. And they're also lost after battle. So whenever you get these points, you'll be showing off. You'll, you'll be spending them. There's no saving for later. And so all of that creates a kind of synergy where you're playing the Lux mechanic, you're playing the, and then you're pulling off some cooler combos that do more damage. And so there's this building up and then cashing in, you know, your kind of your preparation. 
And it really brings a sense of a, a more dynamic to the boss fights where instead of like, let's repeat this turn and use a potion every three turns, it's more like let's build up for three turns and then have that magical round on round four where we just cash in everything we built up. And then we start again and you do that a couple of times and, and it feels like you should win at that point or something, you know? This world was in your mind since elementary school. Was all that, like, did you have, like, that in mind, like, the core principle there? Because you just described a lot of really interesting combat mechanics. Mm. Was that always yours, or did did that change? It was a slow, it was a slow build, uh, like, uh, meaning... So, you know, for example, I, uh, a lot of it is, is inspiration, right? It's from inspiration. So, for example... Uh, playing Chrono Trigger, right? I'm like, oh man, I love doing the combo attacks. It looks really cool to see my characters act at the same time, but it kind of sucks that they're both spending a turn and that they're also both spending the same MP as if they were acting on their own. So it's like, ah, let's just make that little adjustment that, that just feels empowering instead of being a drag or you figuring out, well, then I'll never use my solo skill because, you know, I can, I'll just do the combos because it's better and, and, I wanted to make something by separating the currencies, if, if, if you will, or the energy types mm -hmm. of the actions that you do. It kind of isolates them instead of like, well, if spending on a combo is more damage to MP than doing a single, a single actor skill, I'll never use any ever again once I unlock this. And so it's keeping everything uh, relevant, you know, throughout the game. So that that was always sort of like noticing these little things that could be done differently. Yeah, was was sort of the process. But then obviously it all becomes a concrete design once you really get down to it. You've talked about uh, inspirations a lot, and I'm curious. Uh, Captain Logan wrote in and, and wanted to know uh, if they're not into traditional RPGs, like the 16-bit era RPGs. Uh, are are they still set to enjoy Sea of Stars? Is that still something they would get be able to get into? Huh. I mean, yeah, I, well, so if, if you can't do <laughs> turn-based <laughs> combat, you know what I mean? It's like some people, they just, you know. Doesn't click, yeah. For me, you know, like I, I love all video games, but if if I have a hand of cards, I, I can't do it, you know. I, right. for some, I, I just can't. I don't, I, I'm unable to interact with that. I don't want to build a deck. I don't want to spend a card. I, I just right. can't. And so if you have like a hard blocker on the combat being turn-based, mm -hmm. I don't think there is much, you know, yeah. we can do for you. Meaning like it is absolutely, uh, you know, you move around, you see the enemies, you touch them, everyone gets into place, mm -hmm. you know, battle dance starts looping, music kicks up, and then you're picking your action from a menu. Mm -hmm. uh, that is for sure like uh, what the game is. Mm -hmm. But other than that, if the reason why you tend to dislike those games is some of the tedium mm -hmm. that that you see associated with it for sure the the bulk of our efforts went into uh removing doing away with as much of that as possible like a, a pet peeve of mine is i'm trying to find my way in a dungeon mm -hmm. combat starts i'm in a different angle for the combat and then i'm out of combat it's like was i going left or right and i end up right. back at the dungeon's entrance you know uh, and so all these things of it always being connected because combat doesn't warp you to a battlefield. Everything happens in the in the scene that you're traversing. Mm -hmm. And we put we put a lot of the the platformer expertise to, to work as well. We, we we wanted to break free from the grid, right? The tile based mm -hmm. movement. It's like 
you just walk up to a ledge, you can jump down, you walk up to a, a climbable surface, you, you grab on and you start climbing, you right. can hoist up, you know, grab the ledge and water is in and out seamlessly. You're not like loading another state where you lose control while your character enters the water, you just jump in, you know, walk out. And so that, that seamless, uh, like the traversal outside of combat feels more like a, like an action game, right? Our thing was a world you can touch, meaning if it looks like you can go there, just try and you'll be able to. There's verticality to the gameplay that I think is rarely seen in the the genre. So we're certainly happy with, with that as well. Gotcha. Well, a uh, friend of the show, Baron, wrote in and w- was talking about that grid-based design. He says, uh, when developing Sea of Stars, was grid-based combat similar to like Disgaea, XCOM? Was that a potential option for you guys? Uh, or was that part of the tedium that you wanted to take away? Mm, mm, right, right. Well, so, yeah, I, I think for me, especially to the example that they're referring to, I think that would, that would take it closer to, I think what we would consider like more of a tactical RPG than than uh, perhaps a, a turn-based one. Like in terms of rhythm, enemies, they, they, they bring pacing, a little bit of action, but it's really more about the exploration, right? You'll usually uh, kill regular monsters in, in two or three hits if you're, you know, where you're supposed to be with the gear that you're supposed to be wearing. Um, and and that there's, there's a, a bit of... of um, uh, without getting like tactical per se about the gameplay, there's still a bit of, of displacement gameplay. For example, you can have a character that grabs an enemy and throws it close to another one, meaning that your your sunball that we were talking about has splash damage, right? So it's like a localized area of effect. And so if two enemies are far apart, you can only hit one of the two. But if first you throw one next to it, then you can hit both with that one skill. So there is some of that um, uh, going on where enemy placement kind of plays a role with some of your skills. You get more for your buck, you know, by using those in those uh, scenarios. And you can displace some enemies a little bit, but it's not it's not a core part of you. Like you don't move your own characters around and things like that. There's no like back attack or whatever. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, another listener, Kevin, a lot of people wrote in, by the way. They were all excited. Uh, oh, great. Uh, yeah, I thought so too, man. Uh, our buddy Kevin Ainsworth wrote in, and I think you partially answered this. He said, Sea of Stars is marketed as a retro-inspired RPG. Has it been hard balancing retro style with modern quality of life features? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then is curious, are there any features that you wanted to implement but didn't or couldn't? Uh, didn't or couldn't? The answer is no. I think no. I think the, everything. I mean, we're we're we've been blessed throughout this this production, and and of course that's a testament to the team's you know talent. But no, everything really like no matter which which you know stupid idea I came up with, people just okay, let's figure this out, and and it it, it panned out really well. Uh, you know, one being the dynamic lighting that we have in the game. Um, but so in terms of of retroness, it's it's. And I remember we talked about this, but you know, it's it's when you think about retro games, and most of what you miss is being nine, right? And then having your big shirt over your knees, and a controller inside with your arms inside your your sleeves. It's not like it's not unfair difficulty, repetitive music, stiff controls. That's not that's not the part that you miss. And so where we're trying to be is for the game to be as good as your memory of those games. But if if it was literally like those games. 
I don't think that's something most people would care to play today as a fresh title. You can still replay your, your classics because you fill in the blanks with your nostalgia and then that's still fun. But, but if you play something that you have to try to love now and it has all these, you know, things that, that should be ironed out. So we're, that's where we're trying to be. And, and it's kind of, we're having this connection. We're kind of carrying how the game should feel, right? And as we play, as we test mechanics, we're like, oh, is that going too far? Am I, is it, is it cutting the thread now? Did I just lose my immersion? And then we, we, we walk it back. So it, that has happened a little bit as we were trying to kind of map what feels right and what makes sense. Um, but so one example that I could use, but it's, it's actually from Messenger is, so on NES, right? If you had too many sprites uh, in the same scan lines, they would start blinking, right? Because they would take turns rendering. Yeah. So we chose not to implement that, that glitch but we still made a deliberate decision never to have more than four enemies on the screen at the time. I think we cheated once or twice. This is but, you know, it, so in, in the messengers, sorry, yeah, in the platformer that was more NES inspired. And the idea behind that was, well, no one would say like, oh, there's, you know, 14 enemies on the screen. That doesn't feel retro. It would, they would just subconsciously, without really being able to tell why, feel like they're kind of losing the connection a little bit because these are not things that we necessarily consciously notice. And so we're trying to have, and that's what we refer to as game feel, right? Which is very abstract, but still, it's not necessarily in the things that you notice. It's just in how, how it sings in general. We're trying to keep those retro limitations in mind for the game to do the kind of things that these games were doing. You know, for example, I mean, we can animate, we have infinite, you know, uh, um, space on the disc, you know, compared to old games. Uh, but we're still deliberately, if someone is startled, right, instead of doing like a startle frame, fully animated, right. we'll just take the sprite and do a little jump. It's not that we can't animate it or that we can't afford to have that as extra in the assets. It's just that what a great opportunity to just make that feel right and call back to what you know. So it's a lot of those decisions, like moment to moment throughout the game, what feels retro, what's modern enough. And so we're modernizing more in terms of how we tell the story and, and how we remove friction from the gameplay mechanic. Mm -hmm. But with all things aesthetics, uh, we tend to be more retro, where the, the modernized part is more in the design. What is it about the... 16-bit era that speaks to you so much is it because you were a kid then or is there more to it i was a kid then for sure and and i yeah it's uh, wow <laughs> straight to the soul I, i'm not i'm not sure man uh what is it about it i think that that i i like a game i mean and don't get me wrong i, I love you know uh, next gen titles as much as much as everything but but I also still love retro games as much as, as, as modern ones. And, and for me, I don't know, they just carried some, there was something through the simplicity of it, right? Uh, um, like one example for me would be music in games where they've got so many means that everyone has, a, everyone has an orchestra now and everyone can do like a 12 minute tracks for any moment. And it seems to me like you play a game and it's always just like slow swells, you know? And probably that to the musician's ear, that's like way more produced. That's way more, you know, uh, intelligent musically, and it builds into something that, if you get it, is is mm -hmm. possibly better than than a 16-bit 
soundtrack. But to me, there's just something about, hey, look, you have a one minute loop here. Mm-hmm. So you got to have a hook. <laughs> it has to be good now. We're not building up towards nothing here because it will be looping by the time you're done with your intro. And I think that applies to most things where these kind of limitations of keeping it simple always make you distill your idea and deliver it in a way that is kind of easier to under to, to get the click and to kind of take in and deal with. I don't know. There's just overall, for me, it just it feels like a, a game, you know? It's a toy. It's a thing that you play, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's just to that simplicity, for me, pixel art is is where it's at. It's what opens up that box for me the most. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it just felt right to tell that the story in that way because the, visually it's it's in continuity of, of, of what you can expect, you know, with the rest of it. What's harder to make, the 2D platformer Metroidvania or the party-based, turn-based RPG? Oh, boy. Uh, Well, so it depends what you mean by harder. It was certainly a lot more work. It was four times, and that's not speaking to playtime or anything, but it was four times the scope, right, Mm -hmm. Um, compared to Messenger. So four times the team size and four times the production time. So I don't know if that's 16 times the scope, but uh, it was a lot, a lot, lot more. Uh, you know, you're making your your uh, 8-bit platformer, and it's like your character, your enemy. One, you take one monster, walks in two frames, and only one angle, and you flip that if they go left. You do the same thing in Sea of Stars. Well, the walk cycle is six to eight frames, and you've got eight angles instead of just two, right? So you do five because you can still flip, you know, some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically just one enemy just went from two frames to, you know, that many to, I don't know, around like 32 frames, I suppose, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so that that, that equivalence uh, is everywhere, is everywhere. In the, and everything that we touch for the game, there's the equivalent of from this to that in terms of, of uh, complexity. Uh, sea of Stars, multi-platform, coming to a lot of different places. Jampack Sam wrote in and said, what was the biggest hurdle, if any, in bringing the game to Xbox? Uh, if he remembers correctly, there was uh, this was kind of up in the air, and people weren't sure if it was going to come to Xbox at launch. Is that right? Oh. Were there actually hurdles, or is that anecdotal? Well, so at first, when we did the, the Kickstarter, uh, what we said was, it's a game for PC and console. You know, that's that's... And for us, and you know, we, we live and learn, what we meant by that is that's not an iPad game, you know? <laughs> right. For us, it meant like, no, this is a fully fledged, you know, like premium title that you buy and that you play through with a controller. And it's not, there's no gotcha in there. There's no, you know, it's, it's we're, we're telling you a fully blown story with like dungeons and upgrades and new characters we're, we're making. And so, that was the biggest reason behind saying that, you know, is picture yourself like on the couch with a controller playing, playing this. Um, and then it was a matter of, of, uh, of looking where the interest was for it, uh, which at first was overwhelmingly uh, on the switch. And so we, we, we chose to tackle that one first and being a, a fairly small team, you know, anything, any time you spend porting uh, is time you don't spend, you know, working on the game, finishing up the game, polishing up the game. And there can be a lot of curveballs during production. And so we went 
we we basically were listening to what people were were um, were wanting, were expecting, uh, where where for it to be released, and we basically just went in order of of priority and. We were able to chuck everything in for lunch. Is is what happened because because it went you know smoothly enough. Um, the thing about Xbox is is one 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 thing that happened is that the the and that's I mean, that's totally honest. I'm not blaming the internet, you know. But uh, from that messaging of PC and console, people kind of they said they would do Xbox, and it's like hey, we said we would do console. We didn't. We never said that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's understood that it can be understood like this. But anyway, it's all good in the end because we are doing it and we always wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't clear that we would be able to hit all platforms for launch. So, but we're, we're glad that we were able to, to do it. We actually got some, uh, some backup from our friends at the Berserk studio. I don't know if you know about uh, Infernax and uh, Just Shapes and Beats. And, uh, yes, we've had, uh, is it Scott Brody? No, that's not Scott. Uh, we've had the Infernax team on before. Right. Great. And so so basically, uh, two, two, uh, two of their team members, they're also uh, based in Quebec City, and we've been friends for, for I mean, for over a decade now. But And so basically, they, they came in and they, they lent a hand for, for to help, like, porting, you know, and, and so essentially what that means is, oh, we can do everything now, you know, uh, because otherwise we would have had to limit ourselves to uh, probably Switch and, and PC for launch. Gotcha. That makes sense given the market size and uh, interest levels. Mike Ducarm was the one that was on. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah Mike, of course. <laughs> that's cool. Look at that. Crossing paths. That was that's oh, yeah. awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. That's cool. Uh, so... Well, a question that I often ask developers, particularly those that are working on titles that, that have generated interest, right? Uh, sometimes indie projects are very quiet in the winds and they release and then mm -hmm. people find out about them. Other times they've got a pedigree uh, without trying to put pressure on you. The Messenger is very highly regarded. Sea of Stars mm -hmm. highly anticipated. Uh, is there pressure to... Uh, hit a certain price point to mm -hmm. be on a, a platform service, Game Pass, PlayStation Plus, mm -hmm. uh, Epic Game Store, whatever. Is there pressure to release a certain way now? Or do you feel like you've got uh, freedom to, to, to choose what you think is right for the game? Right, right. Well, so the main thing that was for us, like a... a, a this is more this is more a outside Xbox conversation, but you know, you spoke to, to uh, the Epic uh, example, that's something we didn't want to to look into, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of having you know people back your project, and then you're like, hey, we're not gonna be on Steam at launch, which is like the main the main platform to be, right. you know. And then you get review bomb because you know you ask for help, and then you took the check, and you know, and it's like it's just a whole conversation, you know. As entertainment providers, sure, it's it's just more comfortable for everyone to keep the realities of the costs and of how we stay afloat as a company to provide more entertainment in the future, just to get as much as possible of that out of the way, you know? Uh, so we're not against, you know, subscription catalogs. If, 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 uh, if the offer is there, if people want, cause for us, that's, that's more people playing, playing our game. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't want any exclusivity, you know? Gotcha. Uh, so if, if, for example, you know, uh, working with, with, with 
with Switch, we got some pretty cool opportunities. We were in a Nintendo Direct, which is a pretty huge, you know. But if if it came with a thing of, of they don't do that at all. But if it was a thing of but you can't launch on this other platform for six months out or whatever, we would have said no because we don't want to leave people out. And like the reason being, uh, we made a decision, you know, for our own pocket or whatever. It's 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 right. really like if we're not doing a platform at launch, it's just like look. We're getting to all of you in order of interest, and there was just no time and no budget left. But we will get to it as soon as we can afford it, you know. Mm-hmm. And now it happens that we can afford to to do all of them for lunch, which is great, and it's it's the dream scenario to be honest. Um, but yeah, to to bring it back to your question, if there is pressure on the way to release it for us, we don't, you know, in the same way that we don't do a market research, like oh, is there a demand for a Pixel Ninja platformer? The answer is no. <laughs> we still made one. Mm-hmm. Because that's what, at heart, we genuinely fully felt like doing. And and if people see, like, the love that we put in there, they should gather around it. And it was the same process for doing a turn-based RPG. It wasn't like, oh, is there a JRPG resurgence right now, whatever. It was just like, no, this is what we genuinely care to make. Um, and so then in terms of releasing it, when looking at, for example, uh, uh, the cost of the game, uh, we're looking at what we have. We're looking at what's out there in terms of, of, a, of a pixel a pixel art turn-based RPG, and we feel that the quality is on par with the big the big titles that we can buy and look at and see on the store. But we're not gonna have a price a price point like I mean, we're not Square Enix, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we know this. But also, you can't go too low because you also need people to understand that they're buying into you know both quality and quantity here. You know, it's not it's not like a it's not a five-hour thing. And uh, that's only text-based or whatever. You know, it's, it is a fully-fledged game that we spent almost five years making. So, but I think we'll be in a in a good place and in a fair place. We don't we didn't like specifically define it yet, but uh, it will be the offer that we can afford uh, while keeping in mind that we want to make a third game after that. As as we kind of close out, you want to make a third game after that, set the same universe, something oh, different. Yeah. Well, I can't really speak to what what that game might be or no, look like. Tell me but, everything. Tell me everything. <laughs> no, but so I'm so two things we're committed to is is uh, pixel art, uh, and and, uh, and yeah, all the games being in the same universe. That's that's for sure. And so there is as we kind of make our games, you can see some connections between them, um, and then as we're telling an arc, you can kind of have maybe this this grander like timeline in mind if you, if you care about all of our games like we have some people in this card who are, who are like mapping all of this and and so yeah we, we leave some doors open you know for things to tell later uh, and then we explain something from another game and the next one it's not to a point where you can't play this if you haven't played the, the previous one it's more like if you're in the know you'll get a tiny bit of extra value you know gotcha gotcha well Thierry I'm so excited for Sea uh, of Stars to arrive in august it feels and several people wrote in just saying that they wanted you to know how much they're looking forward to the game's release uh they are ready for august to get here even faster which i thought was uh really really cool it's a good oh that's great thank you yeah yeah um well thank you for joining me let people know where they should go to find out more about sea of stars uh and if there's anything they should look forward to in the short term yeah, well, so there's the on Discord we're uh, Sabotage Studio. We, uh, that's that's really the main point. You know, we uh, we answer questions there directly. 
uh, our, our community is pretty engaged and, and uh, you know, if you want to get into understanding what happened before, where things are going, we had a bit of an ARG going on for a while. And so that, that I would say that's the, that's the place. Uh, otherwise we're on the, on the just sea of stars uh, is, uh, is on Twitter. Uh, we post all the kind of all the news there as we go. It's also a good place to follow. If you prefer more of a feed, we have like a weekly post. We always, every uh, Friday we post like a short, bit from the game or talk about a system uh, so that's another good place and uh, yeah that's probably the, the top two i would say if you want to get more more involved as we ramp up to to the launch it's kind of unbelievable to be saying that but yeah here we are here we are man well <laughs> uh excited to follow that one of course we'll be checking in soon uh and you and i are gonna have to talk again come third game oh uh, for sure oh yeah absolutely complete our trilogy for that one so uh <laughs> listeners remember you can uh, support us over on patreon and of course follow us uh here for more developer interviews thierry thank you so much for joining me today thanks again luke it's always a pleasure <laughs>